COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Our goal is to protect the lives and livelihoods of Australians. We have breaking news on a corona scare. The panic buying, self-isolating on a statewide level. Stop it. It's Wednesday, 8th of April. Natalie Bongiolo and Ben O'Shea with you for Coronavirus Watch. And Ben, the numbers of new cases in WA are at a similar level. Yeah, it's pretty pretty static at 11 new cases. We've seen around that number for the last couple of days, which is great to see. Uh, we're still standing at six deaths. It's also great to see that number hasn't increased. Another positive sign is uh, there are only 34 people in hospital currently. 20 people have been released from hospital in the last 24 hours. Uh, 15 people still in the ICU. And so far in WA, we've tested nearly 20,000 people. Uh, so that's all pretty positive, uh, leading into uh, pretty positive numbers on a national basis as well. And it's so good to hear when you hear those numbers of people that are coming home and being released from hospital. Yeah, that's right. the the only The only concern is there's another new case in the Kimberley, bringing the total uh, for that region to 15, and that's still uh, probably an area of concern for the government. Uh, in this case, though, it wasn't another healthcare worker, which is a small mercy, I suppose. It was somebody who had been in close contact of a person who'd uh, previously been identified as infected. And across the rest of the country. Nationally, again, some more good news. We're seeing uh, 112 new cases, which is terrible for the people uh, who are involved there, but positive for the rest of us because it's seeing that growth rate and infection slowing uh, still. It brings the national total to 6,009 confirmed cases of COVID-19. And the deaths, unfortunately, crept to 50 nationally after the death of a woman in her 60s in Adelaide who had been a passenger aboard the Ruby Princess, which is now 15 people who were aboard that ship who've died. Yeah, that the um, the story coming out of that ship is absolutely tragic and we probably expect there will be more to come. Worldwide, the numbers that we're hearing in terms of the deaths just really send a shiver down your spine. Yeah, so now 1.43 million people have been infected with COVID-19 that we know about, uh, and there are 82,453 deaths. Uh, Turkey at the moment is the country that is experiencing the highest growth rate of infections. They've got some some real problems, thousands and thousands of new cases a day uh, in Turkey, so they're really looking at some really tough restrictions to try and slow that rate. Yeah, absolutely shocking. Uh, Back here at home, some good news that the testing criteria is going to be expanded for people. Yeah, so now the testing will include anyone with a fever over 38 degrees or a history of fever in recent days, or they have an acute respiratory infection, such as a shortness of breath or a cough or even a sore throat. I think this is a very interesting move. Uh, the way I, the, my sense of it is the state government is looking at these very encouraging numbers in terms of new infections, but they want to make sure that it isn't a case of too good to be true. They want to know that we are uh, accurately assessing how many people in the community have the virus. Obviously, community transmission is the biggest fear at this point. And so increasing the testing to include anybody with those symptoms and people in high risk categories only have to have uh, one of those one of those symptoms uh, is going to be a a great way to determine who out there actually has the virus. We know that people can be asymptomatic uh, and the worst case scenario would be people that aren't carrying the symptoms going around infecting other people. So increased testing uh, will encourage those people who maybe previously thought, well, you know, I have have one of these symptoms, but I don't have both. Maybe I'm okay. Now some of those people will go get tested and hopefully they all 
turn back negative, but at least we'll know for sure. As was mentioned, I mean, we could very well see, because of the increased testing, we could very well see a rise in the number of cases that may be put down to that. Um, And Health Minister Roger Cook today, he also implored people not to give up on their flu vaccination, make sure that they get that because we still are thinking that there will be a a coinciding of these, the flu and COVID-19, particularly after we get into these winter months after Easter. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that he said in the past, some people with these uh, mild symptoms might have decided, might have been uh, instructed to self-isolate. Now he wants those people to come and get tested. Uh, So I think, yeah, there's a very real possibility we might see an increase in the number of cases, but this is the sort of situation where you're better to know than not know. Yeah, that's right. Well, the Premier today held his press conference at Chidlow at a a border checkpoint and he addressed uh, the death of Perth grandmother, Maureen Preedy, who died in Royal Perth Hospital. And of course, as we know, her husband was forbidden from visiting her, uh, despite the fact that he already had COVID-19 himself. The Premier was asked about that today and this is what he had to say. It was extremely sad. A long-standing relationship in which... um, a woman is dying in hospital and her husband can't go and see her. It's just inconceivable, really. Uh, so I raised that with uh, the Director-General of Health today to see if anything can be done about those situations. Uh, he committed to me that there would be a review of the protocols around that uh, and uh, I look forward to that review taking place. Look, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not in the hospitals. I don't control exactly what they do today, day to day. Uh, but I am pleased there's going to be a review of that because that is a shocking awful situation for that family. Yeah, I mean, this really is just a devastating situation and Simone Preedy, who's Maureen's daughter, spoke to Jenna Clark on the West Live today and she said it is so very difficult for the family right now because their father is now still grieving in isolation and the family are are yet to be able to now see Dad, who's sitting in a hotel room by himself, having lost his wife of 49 years. And they, I'm sure they couldn't say with any great certainty that even he is out of the woods. So it must be so difficult for that family. I thought uh, it was it was really uh, so, so sad listening uh, to the daughter with Jenna this morning. Uh, it puts a face on this. And I think there's certainly a reminder there for people out there who are not taking COVID-19 as seriously as they should be. When you hear somebody like that grieving for the loss of a loved one, you realise just how serious it is. Yeah, absolutely shocking. Um, Also at the press conference today was Police Minister Michelle Roberts and she was with the Premier today because they have a massive uh, recruitment drive on police officers. Yeah, $91 million are going to the cops. Uh, the, the police have been asking for more money for years, so it's taken a pandemic to get it for them. But this money is definitely needed. It's going to go towards the immediate recruitment of an additional 150 police officers for WA uh, and there another 135 uh, trainee officers in the police academy will be fast-tracked through the academy uh, and they're going to go into uh, backroom jobs mostly uh, to, allow, to allow the police who had been in those backroom jobs to get out on the front line. The ones that are more experienced, who are fully qualified, will be out on the front line. The trainees will be doing the uh, administrative tasks. Uh, and then uh, for the 150 new police, who are, will also be fast-tracked through the academy, they will have the opportunity to go back and finish that training uh, when we're through the worst of this uh, pandemic situation. And there was also some of this money to buy automatic number plate recognition, which is going to obviously make it a lot easier 
Yeah, well, trust is important in every relationship. And it's not that uh, the government and the police don't trust us to stick to the COVID-19 guidelines, but they just want some assurance that we're going to. So there's extra tracking devices for people who who show that they can't be trusted to to stick to the uh, quarantine rules. And there's also going to be uh, number plate uh, uh detectors so just to just to tr- ensure that people who are traveling around WA uh, are going where they should be and they're following the rules as well yeah and an extra uh, 200 ankle bracelets with also GPS tracking capability so yeah. no stone is being left unturned in um, keeping people at home and preventing them from traveling around it was very interesting today though that um, we also heard about a reduction in crime rates because of COVID-19 and so they gave us some figures compared to um, March last year that uh, things like stealing and fraud and burglaries are all down uh, although there is a slight rise in commercial burglaries and you can only expect this is because shops are shut and meanwhile in our houses people are at home. Yeah, I think it was fascinating to listen to uh, Police Commissioner Chris Dawson talk about the crime figures today because we we are seeing these commercial burglaries go up a little bit because of all of the empty stores, no doubt. We're also seeing an increase in domestic violence. He was at pains to stress that there is no direct evidence that it is because of the self-isolating rules that because uh, people are at home uh, in the in family dynamics might be strained. He cautioned people against making uh, ass- assessments like that. But he did say this was similar to uh, the increases and decreases in various crimes that have been observed all over the world during the coronavirus epidemic. He, the commission said that he'd been speaking to uh, policing districts in other jurisdictions and they were experiencing a similar thing. So you could almost expect that to continue, but the addition of extra police officers on the front line out there in the community will help ensure that uh, that law and order is maintained. That's right. And there will certainly be a lot of police officers out on the beat over that Easter weekend, because again, we were told today not to go out at Easter, not to take the risks. And if we all turn up at the beach... The beaches will be shut, although they don't want to shut the beach. They will be forced to do it. Uh, Let's hear what the Premier had to say. This Easter is going to be like none other. It will be different. It will be very different. So I ask every West Australian to settle in at home for this long weekend. Don't be an idiot and don't take unnecessary risks. I mean, he doesn't normally say don't be an idiot. So they really are trying to ram home this message about staying home. That's probably the strongest uh, terms I think we've heard from the Premier this week about the beaches. There was a, a photo that went around on the internet today uh, of a Perth beach that looked like it was crowded with people. It can be a little bit misleading, I have to say. I live out by the beach and I've been there every day for the last couple of days. There are certainly a lot of people uh, at Scarborough Beach th- uh, yesterday. There, there could have easily been a thousand people stretched along the beach. And if you look down the beach, it does look like they're all jammed in. But when you get closer, you realise that by and large, I would say the majority are maintaining that social distance at least one and a half metres. I'd say it's probably more like two or three metres because at this point, nobody really wants to get close to anybody else. So you'd hope that 
we're not going to see beach closures. Uh, the police will be out in force this weekend. They'll have drones. They'll uh, the this, the city uh, of Stirling and other council ranges are also out in force. There's signage to remind people. There's no excuse. Uh, and if you if it's if it's within your own sort of um, uh, home unit, people who live within the same dwelling, that's fine. But don't go down there and meet your mates. Don't have a family reunion by the beach. Keep your distance. And then the beaches will remain open for everybody else. That's right. And don't think you can sneak past a checkpoint, leave your district and go to another beach because they will be absolutely in force at the checkpoints. And one of the interesting uh, positives, I guess, that is coming out of this pandemic is the uh, police minister, Michelle Roberts, today said that the road toll is actually down by 10 on on last year um, and that really this could maybe be the time where we have a fatality-free Easter weekend, which would probably be a first. Yeah, it's almost unthinkable based on the, what's happened in previous years. It's always a really, really tough time as far as the road toll is concerned over Easter. And normally, Michelle Roberts would be doing a press conference urging people to uh, don't drive fatigued, to be safe on the roads, to wear seatbelts, don't drink and drive, all of those type of road safety messages we're so used to hearing from the government around Easter. It's not necessary this year, or not as necessary, because people simply won't be on the roads. They shouldn't be travelling to holiday destinations. Uh, and the People who are driving are doing it for a very good reason, and you'd hope that they're being sensible about it and, and obeying all the road rules. But if, if we see no road fatalities this weekend, then that is a silver lining. And at the moment, we'll take whatever we can get. Yeah, that's right. And remember that there still will be double demerits in place over that Easter long weekend. The one thing that is still causing great concern here in Western Australia are the cruise ships that are looming off the coast of Sydney and the fear that what if they try to come to Western Australia? Yeah, well, there are six cruise ships that are coming across the Great Australian Bight as we talk today. And uh, Premier McGowan said there could be as many 6,000 crew members on those ships. And there is a, a big worry in a state government level that these cruise ships might call into Albany, they might call into Bunbury, they might call into Frio. Apparently, they've been refueled and restocked and everything they need, uh, they have on board to just make it all the way home to their home ports, which is what they've been advised to do by the Commonwealth government. But as we've seen with the Artania, you can tell a cruise ship what to do, but actually forcing it to do it is another thing. And so if we're, if they're experiencing uh, COVID-19 on those ships, there'll be a massive temptation for the captains of those vessels to call into the closest safe haven, the closest safe port to get treatment for their crew. And the reality is the closest safe port is going to be a Western Australian port. And you have to think, you know, Perth is a little old place. We're not anywhere near as big as Sydney. We don't have anywhere near as many of the hospitals and the capabilities and the frontline health workers here in the state to deal with a massive influx like this. This would really be impossible situation for, for WA. Yeah, so I'm 100% certain that uh, Mark McGowan is keeping a very close eye on the uh, on the path of those cruise ships, keeping his fingers crossed that they keep sailing right on by. We wish them all the best wherever they're going, but we certainly don't want them to stop here in Western Australia. No, that's right. Uh, Federal Health Minister moving around the country, uh, Greg Hunt, he uh, had a chat to everyone today about deliberate infections and what people can expect if they actually deliberately infect or try to infect a healthcare worker with COVID-19. We have seen some very troubling cases uh, of people who have either assaulted or threatened healthcare workers, whether it's 
uh, verbally or by coughing on them, uh, by threatening to transmit the virus. Uh, and I have advice from the Attorney-General's Department which I want to read, and that is that the deliberate transmission of COVID-19 is an offence under the general criminal laws that apply in every state and territory. The most serious of these offences may carry maximum penalties up to imprisonment for life if somebody were to take a step which led to the death of a healthcare worker, if uh, that were a deliberate transmission. In addition, those same state and territory criminal laws also make it an offence to cause someone else to fear uh, that uh, they are having transmitted to them the virus, for example, by coughing on them. Interestingly, two people have been charged in the ACT for precisely this type of behaviour, and the same will occur in other jurisdictions as well. This just beggars belief. It's astonishing, really, and it's one of those cases where the uh, punishment fits the crime and a lifetime imprisonment for uh, causing the death of a healthcare worker, there's really nothing more shocking than that at this time. And so it's, it's interesting to see that we've, we've already witnessed some examples of this. WA police uh, have charged a Bunbury man, a 23-year-old man who they allege deliberately coughed and sneezed repeatedly at nurses while he was there being treated for a respiratory condition. He was alleged to have become a little bit agitated after being told he'd have to be in isolation in a room at the Bunbury Hospital. Uh, but police claimed that he left that room uh, and then approached a nurse's station where four nurses were working and he coughed and sneezed at them deliberately. So he's been charged with four counts of assaulting a person working at a hospital and uh, he faced uh, the Perth Magistrates Court today. And this is why the frontline health workers are the heroes in this pandemic that we are facing and putting themselves at risk, particularly when people like this are, are doing things like that to jeopardise their lives, when they are out there risking their lives to help. Uh, moving internationally in the United States, it's, as you mentioned earlier, um, their highest death toll in a single day. Yeah, it's really sad to see how this is unfolding in America. They had uh, 1,736 fatalities uh, over the last sort of 24 hours in the US. And uh, the number of deaths in the country has now skyrocketed to 12,722. Uh, the, to the total number of confirmed cases in the states right now is approaching 400,000. Uh, however, during a press conference today, uh, President Donald Trump said the US might be getting to the top of the curve. Uh, so, you can only hope that is true, but I think there are some serious doubts that that is the case. Yeah. China does seem to be uh, coming out the other side of this. Wuhan ends its 11-week lockdown, and obviously people haven't been able to leave that area since the 23rd of January, but now some 200 flights are due to leave the Chinese city on Wednesday, and they've also opened up their road and rail links. So that's interesting that they're coming through the other side of that. In the UK... Boris Johnson, still in ICU? Yeah, he's in a stable condition. He's still not on a ventilator, so there is definitely reason for hope. But I think any hope is certainly very cautious at the moment because we've seen what COVID-19 can do to the human body. And Boris Johnson is no different to anybody else who's had it. Uh, he's, of course, probably getting the absolute best care that a human can get as the Prime Minister of the UK. Uh, and he's getting, he's getting well wishes from his opponents in the British Parliament, which is great to see as well. People putting aside their political allegiances at a time like 
like this, which I think is only appropriate. Yeah. And there's been a lot of mixed messages about wearing a face mask. And originally we heard that there was absolutely no need to wear a face mask, that it wouldn't reduce your risk of getting COVID-19. We're now hearing about countries where uh, where they are making face masks uh, compulsory. And one of those places is Morocco. Yeah, so now if you go out in public without a face mask in Morocco, you'll risk a jail term, which is really quite astonishing considering in Australia we're still telling people that you shouldn't wear a mask because it diverts vital PPE away from health workers. In America, they're talking about using anything as a mask, a scarf or whatever kind of face covering you can find. But in Morocco, the new order will take effect this week. And so if you go out, uh, you can face a, a prison sentence of up to three months and a fine of up to 1,300 dirhams, which is about... Uh, just about nearly $600 Australian. Uh, face masks will be available at a subsidised price in Morocco for uh, roughly about eight Australian cents, uh, 80 dirham, uh, 0.8 of a dirham. Um, and it's as part of their country's uh, state of emergency that started on the 19th of March uh, after the country has so far reported uh, a bit over 1,100 coronavirus cases and 80 deaths. Well, thank goodness most of us are doing the right thing. We are staying at home and that's why here in Australia we've managed to you know, keep that curve flatter than they have it in other countries. And part of that has been staying at home and a lot of people are ordering out and ordering with Uber Eats. But is someone saying that this is not such a good idea? Well, it's not such a good idea if you want uh, WA businesses to survive this pandemic. It's a no-brainer for most people. Before anybody had heard of COVID-19, Uber Eats was so popular. We all use it. And so it's a no-brainer for people now if they need a takeaway meal to just open the app and away they go, swipe a few swipes and there's their Chinese takeout. But what people don't realise is Uber Eats charges a fee, a percentage of that sale for that restaurant uh, so they don't get that money and uber eats for their own reasons have decided not to reduce the percentage that they take off businesses and it was fine once upon a time when a restaurant had a dine-in business and uber eats was just a small complement of their overall revenue now that Uber Eats represents a much bigger slice of the pie. They can't afford for much of that pie to be chipped away by the Uber Eats percentage. So uh, the Arc Group, who owns a range of venues around town like Market Grounds uh, and the Peach Pit in Scarborough, they're all closed because of the government restriction, restrictions. Uh, the Peach Pit is now doing takeaway. Uh, they, they are encouraging people to use takeaway, but they don't want people to order via Uber Eats. They simply can't afford to stay in business if the, all of their orders come through Uber Eats. So uh, the hospitality industry in Perth is now recommending if you want to get a takeaway meal, which so many people are at the moment, take the time to go to a restaurant's or cafe's Facebook page or website, check to see if they offer their own delivery service or their own pickup service and try to use that before turning to Uber Eats. And if you can, it's just more money back in the in the tills of those small businesses, enables them to keep employing staff, keep in business. And we all want to come out of this with a healthy hospitality industry and avoiding Uber Eats is one small way to do that. Yeah, and you can imagine that those small businesses are diversifying their roles and, you know, the cook is also jumping on his moped and happy to deliver as well just to keep things going without that extra exactly. fee like you've just mentioned. Uh, now, in the UK, a, a man called James Campbell, who is a former professional javelin thrower, um, has run a marathon in his little backyard. Have a listen to this. Well, yeah, it's that log. <laughs> Trouncing along since 9am this morning so over the five hour mark but he is going to be over an hour 
ahead of what he thought his pace might be. 110 metres a minute and around six. Point number two! It's what you And we've done it! Come on, Yes, Campbell from Cheltenham completes the six metre Garden Challenge. The Scottish javelin record holder has taken to it like a duck to water. Oh, man, I'm absolutely blown away like that. The support is just like, they are. We've got celebrities doing amazing things to keep people entertained and we've got sports stars doing things to keep us entertained. Well, we don't have any sport at the moment. So this is this is really what passes for international sport at the moment. And I, for one, welcome it. I would like to see more backyard sports. This guy had a tiny backyard doing six-metre shuttles. He's 7,000 times he went up and down in his backyard to get the 42.2 kilometres, which is just amazing. And he's raised $22,000 in the process for Britain's NHS. So it's fantastic effort. Uh, it's entertained a lot of people. You can't get much better than that. I wonder if he's feeling dizzy or at least he might come out of it even with a hip or a knee problem because if he's going in one direction, I can imagine you're loading on the left or the right side in this tight yes. little circle. Exactly. It's got to be harder than a regular marathon, right? It certainly <laughs> took longer. It took him, what did it take him, a bit over five hours? Mind uh, you, that's, that's still a- pretty good. I think in a straight line, I'd be about a seven or an eight. <laughs> Well, that's it from us for today for Coronavirus Watch. We hope you can join us tomorrow when we'll be back again. Natalie Bongiolo and Ben O'Shea joining you then.